This morning, we are joined by Samuel Faber, CEO of Mandarin Capital. Good morning, Sam. Morning, Newton. And good morning also to James Audist, a senior investment advisor at Shaw & Partners. Good morning, James. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you um, doing? Markets saw weaker than expected economic numbers overnight, yet investors seem to cheer those numbers as hopes of a pause in rising rates increased. Are investors misguided and as if numbers of, uh, are, are the investors gui- misguided if the numbers turn around? Markets could see steep falls, or do you think the US could negotiate a soft landing? Um, start with you, Sam. I think. Given the situation, there is a good chance of soft landing. I mean, there's been some softening in the economy. Uh, inflation's expectations are coming off. So I think there is reasons to uh, to actually think there will be a soft landing. The real issue are going to be those inflation numbers. Uh, they've been on a downtrend, but forward, whether there will be a rebound because of external factors, which could actually move these uh, expectations back up, that could be the cause for, in that case, of stagflation if this Fed has to raise rates up and, in, and inflation numbers stays up. I think given what we've seen, there's, uh, it's unlikely, but uh, you never know. There could be a, an external shock, which causes uh, which cause inflation to spike up. But I think there is a reason for optimism for uh, for soft landing and for a uh, you know a peak of interest rates. Whether that is necessarily positive for uh, the uh, eventually for the stock market, that's a different story. But uh, well, I think we're coming to the end of this cycle, uh, where the market has been extremely focused on interest rate cycle, and then I guess there will be a move on to the next uh, drivers of the market. Uh, James. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't but this. The, the thing about it is I don't think that it's going to be a, a straight line with inflation coming back out, which is what the Fed's mandate is really to, you know, control inflation. Uh, they're doing that at the expense of GDP. So it is when we get these negative data points out that, uh, you know, it is good for the economy because we know things aren't going to be super hot and the Fed's going to have to get on the front foot and, you know, and hit the brakes even harder than they have. You know, it, it, it may be that they've uh, eventually we find out that they've overreacted and uh, gone a little bit late and gone a little bit hard uh, and they may derail things but it seems that over the last few months that they've been the economic data has been showing that they haven't hit the brakes so hard that we're going to derail the economy but do you get to a point where okay i know a lot of people look at it and say okay interest rates are going to now no longer be uh, going up you're now starting to see a little bit of a turnaround in the numbers. How does the market overall react? Because generally, if you look at it historically, I know people think otherwise, but when you get to these peaks, the markets will come down ahead of the economy as well as the interest rates. So do we start saying that the market's starting to top out? Um, start with you, Sam, again. I think there's a chance. I mean, um, it's been said a lot of focus has been uh, on the interest rates. Rate. So the peak uh, profits has been extremely resilient, but obviously we have a slowdown on the, on the economy. Then it's all going to be about consumptions and profit growth in the US. So Look, I think we're coming at the end of the cycle. I think we have to be cautious and be selective in what you're going to have to select in your portfolio. I don't think it's going to be a general broad rally as we've seen for, which was in stubborn rally when we've seen during this, uh, this interest rate cycle hike. And James, I know you look at all the sentiments as well and see how markets react. What, how, what are you seeing on that side? Yeah, well, I mean, that's, we saw the consumer confidence numbers, which were supposed to print at 116. They came out at 106. And, 
And uh, again, uh, you know, as Sam says, the thing about it is the corporate profits have been uh, very resilient. One of the things that I'm kind of watching is a, a definite, um, a definite uh, move in the dollar index. So with the US dollar index trading at the you know 103 level at the moment, that's elevated, and that's going to actually hurt uh, US multinational corporates. And we haven't heard much from from them in terms of this uh, most recent quarter talking about the impingement on their foreign earnings being, you know, repatriated into the US. And that may become a bit of an issue, but obviously the dollar index is just tracking what's happening with the yields. And we've seen the, the US tens peel off from 433 base points to 411 at the moment. So I, I, I agree with Sam because what we're actually and yourself, what we're actually seeing is the markets are actually preempting um, what the um, Fed's going to do. So I think the Fed's on pause now. Hopefully they don't. They may raise once more, but you know we may see inflation be choppy in between now and over the next uh, year or so. And on that score, while it's a pause, when do you anticipate that they'll start lowering rates, or will that will they stay around these levels for quite a while? No, I'd be happy if they just stayed st- stayed steady rather than even you know worrying about a cut. But I, I don't think we're going to see a, a cut until at least the second quarter of 2024, uh, if not the back end. Oh, Sam? Yeah, I don't think they have a reason to cut at the moment. I mean, economy is still fairly healthy. Inflation is still up there. So, look, at the end, I think long term, we're just back to where we should be. Uh, very, very neutral in terms of interest rates policy. So I think they're very happy to have achieved this neutrality long term without having really derailed the economy. And I think they're in perfect wait and see positions to react if inflation starts picking up again or do a minor adjustment if there's really a, an increase in the slowdown. So I wouldn't expect too much of an actions from the Fed forward for the next six months. The other factor that um, everyone's been focused on, apart from inflation, is obviously China. And China, the economy, every, every day that you pick up the paper, it seems to be getting weaker and weaker. Is that going to have an effect globally? And could that be some, a trigger that could turn things around to the negative side? Um, I'll start with you, Sam, on that one. It has an impact. It definitely has an impact already uh, regionally. And obviously that will, con- will have a contagious effect. And the first impact is actually on the inflation because the situation in China has been deflationary. So on that basis, it has been helping some of these countries highly depend on China for the fight against inflation. So that is definitely on the positive side. On the, on the negative side, there's a global slowdown. And at some point, it will hurt uh, you know, the, the growth and the profits of the companies. And then obviously there's China itself with a lot of situation in terms of credit with Country Garden, as you mentioned, which has to be addressed, uh, I think, separately. Uh, James, how do you feel the China effect is going to play out on the global scale? Well, we know that Beijing has the balance sheet to bail out any issues that they do have, but they don't want to be seen to be just uh, uh, bailing out the corporate world whenever you know they've over leveraged themselves in terms of property, etc. One of the things which is, you know, very important for Australia, with China being you know our major trading partner, is we need the demand, we need the draw through on our resources. Uh, so you know we, we're obviously you know a, a little bit concerned with what's going on internally over there. Uh, and, you know, that may end up being a bit of a dark horse for us. So you've actually hit one on the on the head there in terms of one that we are actually concerned about. Well, Sam just mentioned about Country Garden, and obviously their results yesterday were poor. They have hinted that they might have to do a default. Um, will that not have some sort of contagion effect, and then that's going to start spiralling through to other sectors, or do you think we could just isolate Country Garden and maybe some of the other property plays and not necessarily have such a big effect? 
I don't think you can isolate a country garden. I think it could be a, quite a defining moment for how this thing is going to play out. Because if you look at the U.S. and the way they can restructure the economy, they have all the legal tools and the history of uh, restructuring. You got Chapter 9, Chapter 11, and what they did with during the, the financial crisis, how they stepped in. Interestingly, in a supposedly free market economy, the state intervened massively during that credit crisis when China, at the moment, they're very reluctant to step in. So I think the way this country got and, and the speed to which is going to be restructured is going to be quite critical to address the uh, potential unwinding of a very tense uh, credit market situation in China. So... Um, Given what has been happening and how long it's been dragging on, I am fairly pessimistic on how this could actually unwind. And if it starts, uh, it could only be the tip of the iceberg. I not necessarily agree with James that the, the government has the capability to bail out the whole system, because I think the, the amount of interconnection and spreading is probably not even well known to the, uh, to the central government. And that has profound ramifications into the... Uh, into the country whole uh, whole economy and i think you know we're seeing a real uh, supply shock at the moment and that has think hasn't been addressed uh, enough uh, and certainly not with enough strength to really uh, segregate or contain a potential major credit crisis James, I mean, I know we look at this, you're looking at the Australian market being in Australia, and we have seen some of the tariffs that had been in place come off, and there was some sort of resumption of a normalised trading. Has Australia seen that pick up from China, or is the weakness in the economy still holding things back? Well, our main exports are red dirt, iron ore. Uh, so, you know, that's a huge one. We get these uh, sentiment type issues where we see, you know, Treasury wine estates, um, you know, having bans on wines, et cetera, and that's impacting them as a company. But really, they're not uh, overly reflective or too impactful on what's happening in the Australian economy more, more broadly. Uh, certainly, the coal uh, um, uh, export ban that's uh, now been lifted to a degree is helping us as well. Uh, but, you know, with, with uh, Sam saying what he's saying, he's actually made me nervous. So I've just smashed the sell button on a few things. Uh, so thanks for that, mate. But uh, yeah, it, the thing about it is, it's 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 a lot of it's going to be um, sentiment driven, and and uh, if we do see um, fractures in the property market and a few different things in in China that spook the global market, they're still they're a big player in global GDP percentage. So you know that could really uh, you know it could derail things. Hopefully, it won't. Yeah, it's funny because you do talk a lot about sentiment and um, I know you were talking earlier about how when, when people came into the year they were a bit bearish and then we've had pretty positive markets. People are now being quite bullish. Um, I guess with some of the stuff in China, it's kind of, we're kind of getting, I mean, it's still on the bullish side, but do you think we could start shifting towards a more neutral stance? or? And also, I mean, or, or do you start playing the contrarian and say, okay, well, all the bad news is out there and now let's say, well, how much more bad news can there be? And maybe it's start the time to get back in. Um, I'll start with you on that oh, one, Sam. Sorry, so, so, no, get started. Go on, James. Get continue. Sorry. Well, the thing, the thing with that is, I mean, whatever the next black swan might be, whether that comes from you know Chinese property or, or some other, it, it, that by its very nature, the uh, black swans are known. So I don't think that we're, you know, will ever be out of the woods in terms of what might, uh, you know, uh, sideswipe economies on a on a systemic basis. 
Uh, but, the, you know, the, I, I'm a little bit more upbeat. What Sam said earlier before is to actually, you know, look at the companies in terms of looking at the specifics of a company. And I think that's what he was touching on rather than just looking at this, you know, uh, much broader helicopter type of view. I think that that's an important from me as a portfolio manager to actually, you know, look at the nitty gritty of the actual companies and look at them specific to themselves on a regressive basis and see where they're at on a valuation basis. And that's what keeps me in stocks when people are getting shaken out. We know just recently that there was all of this uh, chatter about it. If the uh, Dow Jones had have gone for one more day, it would have equaled uh, the longest winning streak that it had ever had in uh, since 1895. And and so these are, you know, sentiments, bullish things that are going on. And then everybody, now everybody's talking about, you know, the weakest month of the year. Well, you know, that may be true, but it's it's really, you know, it, it's for the S&P 500, it's now only down 1.61% for August, where it was down 2.61% in February. So, you know, we've already recovered that. So now people aren't talking about that. And this is all the sentiment stuff that's driving, you know, market moves. Okay, so personally, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things going on. I think black swans, black swans, so you can never predict. I don't think all the bad news in the market, because especially I'm, I'm talking specifically from China. I think there's some pockets of good news around the world. So it does, it's not all, do, all doom and gloom, but specifically in China, um, and especially on credit crisis, Usually it starts with something which everybody thinks is benign and the acceleration is never forecast. And again, it's not only a uh, demand side on the real estate, for instance, in China. It's also a massive supply shock because it's not only the developers, it holds the supply chains behind it. So I think on that basis, until that is cleared and sorted properly, you have limited upside for these countries, for this country, because you cannot price the risk. Until you can price the risk, then it's easy to assess the risk. But until that risk pricing is not feasible, then I think you have to be cautious. I think it's different from the countries where you can price the risk. Like in the US for the moment, I think it's fairly easy to price the risk. Australia also, you know what your risks are to some extent. But uh, I think that's why you have to be uh, specific on your analysis. Okay. In 10 seconds, you said there were some positives in the world. What, what are those positives? Well, declining inflations. Um, finally, the uh, central bankers doing their jobs properly. And, uh, you know, we can move to the next cycle. That's the positive. And James, in 10 seconds for you, what would be the positives there? Well, you know, the resilience of corporate profits is something which, uh, and even though they're lowering the bar, uh, bar on the go-forward basis in terms of expectations, I think that, you know, they've, they've managed things quite well. So the only thing that really kind of worries me is that for the U.S. multinationals, the, you know, the dollar index rallying and that in, ending up hitting their profits. But, yeah, that's otherwise they're quite, they're quite positive. All right. Well, unfortunately, that's all we have time for. So I'd like to thank Samuel Faber, CEO of Mandarin Capital, and James Ordis, a senior investment advisor at Shaw & Partners, for coming on this morning. Thank you, guys.